to episode two of the Board Game Gambit podcast. Today's episode, what are we going to play? So we are going to be discussing that very, very question that plagues game groups around the country, which is how, how do we decide what we are going to play and what influences that decision? So that is the topic of today. Uh, joining you as always is me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Welcome, everyone. How have you been? Good. Things are good. I have my first dose of vaccine as a healthcare worker. So I am, I didn't experience any side effects. So I'm, I'm hopeful that my second dose will be as easy as the first. Um, that's, yeah, so. that's awesome to hear, obviously. For me, not being exposed to anything is uh, still very far, but um, vaccine means future of, of convention. So in general, uh, I'm, yes. I'm excited for vaccines to be um, to be distributed. Also, on a less jokey, uh, joking note, um, I was never too worried about myself. I was worried about spreading something to someone else. So I have my testing, and as long as, uh, especially the vulnerable population is vaccinating, I'm 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 all fine. Um, so looking up after a tough yes. year, looking forward to gaming in person. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, yeah. As we said before, uh, digital gaming doesn't doesn't really cut it for me. Uh, I rather spend some time just chatting to people over over the internet, which says a lot. Um, for me to choose not gaming, but I, I have been playing quite enough at home, so it's fine. But Good. I can't wait to. There are all of these games that are. Oh yeah, that would be nice if we were ever more than two. Um, but um, yeah. So will. what have you been playing? Beside more of the the crew, recently we cracked open Praga Caputreni which is the last design by Vladimir Suki, Nathan's recent passion with uh, Underwater Cities. And I, I was a little worried because it wouldn't be the first time that I really, really like a game. And then I get into the following game by the same designer and it's just mediocre for me, or at least I really don't like it, right? Are you thinking um, of something in particular? Um, I, I have a hard time focusing, but for example, Dominion. I really, really liked uh, Dominion by Donald Lex Vaccarino. And then as soon as Kingdom Builders came out, we tried it. And sure, I'll play Kingdom Builders if someone wants to, but it's definitely not a game that I'm excited about. Other mm -hmm. games, I don't remember if it was Nefarious or something like that, I actually disliked. And there are a lot like that. Um, while this definitely didn't disappoint, um, it was great. Uh, Praga Caputreni is a, a big Euro with a bunch of moving parts, so I, I won't try to get into the, the the meat of each of those. But basically, there is uh, a selection mechanism. You select one of six actions um, out of uh, a, a wheel, and that you combine the card with the action that is core to underwater cities is not there but is kind of similar because these actions are placed on a wheel so when you select one of these actions you have a connected bonus and since resources are super scarce much like money at the beginning of underwater cities you need those little bonuses they are less 
impactful probably than cards in uh, um, underwater cities are but you need them a lot so i think that the action selection is less interesting than in um, underwater cities even if it's still good but what makes it very good is that the rest is very very solid you know that i wasn't super fan of the the base development in underwater cities i liked it despite that being a little uninspired mm. this as a lot, you have buildings that you can build and there are basically um, some bonuses immediately and then you're trying to complete sets on the board. There is a track, the, the King's Road, that you move and you move only a few times on that, but there are increasingly good rewards. There are two big tracks that are physically 3D because they are um, basically stairs, uh, the cathedral and the castle, and you move up on that and that points and the multiplier for other tokens and then you can build your own set of walls and uh, upgrade actions the upgrade action give you better things when you take ac specific actions the walls just give you resources and points um, but also there is a small uh, special element of aligning them i did poorly at that but i did it didn't annoy me um at the end i was realizing that I left a lot of points on the table with that. Um, but it was tense. We've only played it two players, um, but it had a very nice pace. Um, I think that with more players, the the competing for the building sets and, and the board would, would become better. Um, I am a little worried. I think this is, this is going to be one like underwater cities where over three... So going to four players is going to be really a commitment and maybe I, yeah. I'd rather keep it at two and three. The theme is not as exciting as Underwater Cities, is build a castle and build a road for the king. Nothing that we have not seen before. But vice versa, visually I liked it probably, well, certainly better than, than the original um, Underwater Cities. Meaning it's it's your standard euros, but I do like standard euros. So um, mm. that, that visual appealed to me. Um, there is a lot more little details. There are eggs that you play, use to pay for stuff. Um, there are. Do you know why those are in the game? Because in the beginning, uh, the the king had asked of people to to send them uh, eggs. I guess to use the running yolk to to tie things together in construction. But yeah. the rule book says that one village sent them hard boiled eggs and so the king was displeased. <laughs> I do study my games very, very carefully. Good, good, good. Um so what do you feel about like the action selection mechanism? I I liked it. It from the rules it was very hard for me to to see the point of it. It mm -hmm. looked very clunky. That's something else that will improve, I think, with three players because I think... So there are three sections. The actions slide through three sections. The red section where they are expensive to take. You still get the bonus and the action, but you have to pay money. The green section, which is very small and it's you just get them. And then the blue section where you get points because they haven't been chosen, right? So if, if an action is not chosen, an action and a bonus because they slide together are not chosen, they get into this blue section. And it only happened twice, I think, that we grabbed from there out of 32 actions that we, we took with two players. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that will become more common with with three players because you're not always guaranteed that okay if one action has just been taken and went to the red uh, the red uh, uh, zone then the other action of that kind is probably coming into the green zone so sometimes you will be forced to pay more or someone will let it be again it's not there is nothing as interesting as some of the actions in underwater cities mm-hmm. but at the same time that means that you don't risk getting stuck uh, sometimes in underwater cities, you you need certain cards, or, and obviously the the bonuses of the cards are built into the game. So it's not that you can pay play and just consider them a nice bonus from time to time. You need them to do things. So here you can plan a little bit more, which leads, I, I guess, to a little less analysis paralysis because you don't have the oh I wait I just do this card. Oh, and I was hoping to to draw an orange, but I drew a red. So wait, I can do this red now. But you have taken this pot from me. It's it's a little faster on that regard. I would have liked probably even some more variety uh, in how the, the 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 actions are presented. But it's good. There is something that I think you would really like. There are two production tracks in which when you take an action, you can either get one of that resource and upgrade your production track, or you can just get your production. And mm-hmm. so you're constantly going back and forth between the need to get the resources now to spend them and raising that and getting stuff. It's one of those games, which usually means it's a good game for me, where from the rules, a lot of items and a lot of things don't seem particularly impressive for example reading the rules reading okay you can use an egg for the road and you can take an egg from a bonus but is that all that all of these pieces just for that while there are a bunch of icons on the buildings and on the walls that when you buy them you get to gain an egg here or spend an egg for something or uh, bonuses from uh, the different plazas that are on the board all of these components resources and component scorings that obviously they are not spelled out in the rules because they are just okay this symbol means points and this symbol means spend and it really clicked uh it clicked relatively easy the first two turns for each were a little bit of wait what am i doing here but then it was just uh oh oh i I need to do this and i need to do this and it grows you you get to do more with the last few rounds than you than you uh, can elsewhere but it's not it's not i know you don't like the, the game but imperial settlers is one of those games where in the first turn you take four actions and in the last turn of five you take i don't know 20 actions here the progression is not like that um you do accumulate a few things that help you work better uh taking an extra action here and there but it's still you are doing things significant at the very beginning and you cannot just wait for the big big turns at the end so very good took us i think two hours uh with two players excluding explanation and assembling which is gigantic oh yeah Um, but i think it will come down but not by much right this will never be a felt game that with two players we we kick out in 50 minutes I don't think so. I think yeah. it will always be over an hour and a half, even with two. 
I have no idea how long it would be with three. Uh, the game gets a little shorter. I think you get fewer actions with, with three, but I'm not even sure because the track is longer. So um, I don't. I think the first time we play with three, it will be in over three hours. But much like the three hours of Underwater Cities, I, was, I wasn't checking the time. I wasn't realizing that it was taking over two hours. So definitely thumbs up for me. I Good. wish... I wish it had a more exciting theme. <laughs> yeah, so I was asking about the wheel because it reminds me a lot of like a very, very simplified like Zulkin. No? I, I don't think particularly because there is no maturing, right? Um, you can, you you are simply, it, it's, I know that Zulkin could be done with tracks, uh, obviously. Um, but this is really just a track. Uh, the fact that it's circular is... So whenever you take an action, it goes to the top and basically is very similar to what other games do by accumulating coins on on actions that haven't chosen things. And it, it works basically the same because the, the, the bonuses are paired and they move with the action. So the only moment that is broken is when you take the action, you go and place it on a new bonus, but you will not get that. I mean, you, you have no guarantee that you will get that. It's definitely out of the scope of things that you can work on and predict. So no, it, it's much less integral than that. It, it's interesting. I, I didn't dislike it. It was different than just worker placement, and it was interesting and those little bonuses as i said were relevant but definitely not not as crucial as as it is in Tolkien. it's is and it's not even a rondelle right because you can jump wherever you want right um so it's just a, a clever action track it reminds me of those in which cards slide to the left and the, uh, the card to the right is more expensive mm -hmm. um which i think uh it's for example in um what what is called the, the guy who did the West Kingdom saga, uh, Shem Phillips. In his games, there are the in all of them there are these rows of cards that slide, and you can pay more to get the ones that are further away. That's what it reminds me of, but with the added bonus that, well, that, that there are bonuses with the, yeah. cat, with the actions. Well, you ruined my transition because I was going to say, speaking of Zulkin. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so that was Praga Kaput Regni by Vladimir Succi uh, from his own publishing company, Delicious Games. And speaking of Zulkin, I'm still going to do it. Yes, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of Zulkin. So I've been playing a lot of games online, um, specifically through Board Game Arena, mm -hmm. which, so I know there's a lot of like controversy right now about like, um, the difference between like board game arena and like tabletop simulator, and like if people have the right to make these games on tabletop simulator and things like that. So I have just kind of steered away from tabletop simulator because I don't fully understand what's going on with all of that, and it seems like people are are making games that are not <laughs> theirs to be making. It doesn't need to be the publishers. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So people are like making games or modding games that they don't, they shouldn't really be doing. So I'm kind of like, eh, I'm staying away from that. So Board Game Arena has 
um, not as quite of, of an extensive list on there, but it does have some some good favorites. Um, and I like that it it you know sort of does your things for you, the upkeep and stuff. So um, some games that I played on there were Abyss, Twa, which I've mentioned before, um, Seven Wonders Duel, which mm-hmm. I am currently undefeated in. <laughs> awesome. Um, I thought you didn't like it. Seven Wonders Duel? Yeah. I, I like it. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I've never had I've never had a problem with it. Um, and Zulkin. So let me go into why I will never play Zulkin again online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, at least not with anyone that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Because so now I've been playing against just random people and I've encountered this more than once, but it's the, the aggressive corn conversion strategy. Yeah. Yeah. But also it's multiple people. Like, so I go in playing against one person, but then in the chat, there are like two people talking that are not talking to me and they're talking usually in a different language. Oh, that's bad. So, I'm I mean, like, I, know, I know it's not competitive chess, but that's that's a big no-no, right? Talking about someone else's game while they can read it and listen. Right, right. So, um, finally, I called these people out because they, it was funny enough they were speaking Korean, which I speak <laughs> a little Korean and I can read a little Korean. So I was like, I can read what you're saying, <laughs> and they were like, they were like, oh. Or first I said, you guys are talking an awful lot. Like, what are you guys talking about? And they were like, oh, not the game. Sorry. And they said that in English. Yeah. And they kept talking and talking. And then finally, I like, there was a section that I could see the word game. And so I like use Google Translate because I cannot, I'm not fluent. Like, so I went and I looked at it and it was specifically talking about this game and like what they needed to do next and things like that. And so I called them out. I was like, I can read Korean. And then they were like, oh, sorry. Yeah, that's the. I think the risk. This in particular never happened to me, but it seems that the online draws that super competitive, right? Uh, I'm not just with a friend, and therefore I like soaking and I play it. But I played soaking eight hundred times or eight thousand times. I'm obsessed with winning it. Um, Therefore, I take. Always the strategy that is sure effective because online, I guess, actually, I know for a fact that Board Game Arena does not implement the variant that the, the designer suggested specifically to stop that that strategy. Yep. Um, and probably play it all the time, trying to perfect that specific one. And yeah, it, 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 it takes it away from... It probably takes it into the eSport <laughs> almost category, and that's not where I am. But Yeah, because it's like it makes it – first of all, it makes it not fun for me because I'm sitting here like actually trying to play the game, while, whereas they're like trying to like compute the best way to do a specific strategy. I never go into a game ever where going, I need to do exactly this. For the game and i have not ever played a game where i'm like i have to do that strategy to win this game and maybe that's why sometimes i don't win but i always have fun 
Like, even with games that I've not liked, I always have fun with them just experiencing different strategies and trying out new things and stuff like that. So, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I played Zulkin, and that is by Simone Luciani and uh, Daniele Ticini from Czech Games Edition. Yeah, and... But that's not to take away from the game, because it's a very good game. Yeah, I think that there is a difference between trying to play the 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 most efficient strategy and basically when it gets to this is the one thing that you need to do, either you implement a variant uh, like I did um, and I took the idea that the, the designer gave um, or I just stopped playing it. Like, like I do understand people say, oh, well, you cannot go around and rechanging and rebalancing the game. Well, but then it's not fun. If the point is, just execute this thing in every game in the same way, then sure. I mean, I like sulking, but if that's that's what the game comes to, I, I don't like it anymore. Yeah. It's as if, to take another game that we like in Macau, there was a car that you need 100% to buy and build, and all that you had needed to do was to get ready to have the cube so that if it comes up, you buy it and you win it. That wouldn't be a particularly interesting game, even if Technically, it's the same game, right? Um, right. So, yeah, I do like the game, but um, I will not be playing <laughs> with people I do not know, Zulkin specifically, because I haven't co- encountered that with other things like Abyss or what have you. But Zulkin specifically, for some reason, is very plagued with people aggressively going for the strategy of converting things to to corn and getting corn into other things and it it, yeah Yeah, and i think how to rebalance it is tricky as come out with this variant i actually use a stricter version of of the variant uh, which is limits how much you can trade but i think that there is a, a fundamental it shouldn't have limited, it should have completely changed how it works because that action, in my opinion, obviously I'm not a game designer and uh, both Ashini and Luciani have a great pedigree and I don't claim to speak for them. But my impression is that that spot, so in Solkin, uh, for those who haven't played it, you you do a bunch of stuff, but one of the things is uh, getting resources. There are different tracks on, with different wheels on which to get resources. And there is this part that lets you convert in some resources into others or some resources into corn, the currency of the game. And I think that was there put there. It's a very easy-to-access spot. I think it was put there to, oh, wait, I miscalculated and I'm just missing one or two stones and I got too much wood. Let me trade that. I think yeah. that was the idea behind the trading. Um, and so I, I, if I were ever to, to publish, if I was a publisher publishing the Tolkien, a new version of Tolkien, I would go way more radical. Something like you can buy one resource, turn one resource into another resource or turn one resource in a certain amount of corn. Even leaving aside the, the conversion chart, just something so that you can adjust your your target right oh yeah. i i thought i and that's clear again in my view non-informed view that's clearly what what is there to be because it's it's equivalent to get one wood or get 
to food. So it's a very basic action. It's not supposed to be the pivot of uh, the pillar, sorry, of, of your of your strategy. Um, any other spot on the board, any other spot on the board, you could take it away and the strategy connected still somehow works. It's not as efficient, but it works. The fact that a very low level thing is what it does, the strategy absolutely rotates around. Um, I think it's it, it's not how it was intended to be. But. Yeah. Um, another one that I played on Board Game Arena is Carnegie. Oh, that's another heavy one. Oh, it's so good, though. Okay. So Carnegie is from Xavier Georges. The art is by Ian O'Toole, and it's published from Quind Games. Well, I guess, is it technically published? Because it's on Kickstarter right now. So it's soon to be published, I guess. And soon Um, to be yours, I guess. Of course. Okay. So some of the other games that uh, Xavier Georges made were Black Angel, which I would like to play more. Um, I didn't I didn't feel very strongly about it either way when I first played it. Uh, Twa, which I loved when I first played it. And Gingopolis, which I loved when I first played it. So I was like, okay, so, you know, th- two of the three games I really, really, really enjoyed. So I was like, let me, you know, figure it out and I'll, I'll try it out and see if I like it. And then if I want, I'll back it. It is so good. So, so good. What kind um, of game is it? So, you're kind of making, like, a your own tableau with worker placement sections mm-hmm. for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you're building different departments. Um, there is a central action selection for all players. Mm-hmm. So... Each turn, whoever's the active player will pick the action that everyone takes. Which I haven't really mastered yet how to be efficient in that because it's often been times where my opponent will pick an action that I cannot do at all. So that has been trying to find that balance is difficult for me. Um, But it takes place over 20 rounds and each time you select an action, it's associated with either making a donation, which is um, basically funding an end game bonus for yourself, which gets increasingly expensive as the game goes on. Or um, the other option, uh, the other thing that could happen when you choose a specific action is that you get income from a certain section of the board. And the board um, is a little bit of like, route building not route building it's um like like you're just building connections it's not because it's not you're not like transporting anything around it but it's like just like building diff like a wide connection across the united states and mm-hmm. i don't know it's just really good like you have to balance like managing employees you have to balance um like doing research, which uh, can give you more opportunities to build things onto the board or um, give you better income for certain things. So there's a lot to consider and no game that I've played of it has been the same because a lot of things change. Some of the departments either are completely gone because you 
you take out a certain number of random ones, especially at a two-player game, that you take some out. And then there are, like, uh, neutral, like, blockers to make the the map more tight for two players. So there's a lot of different variabilities as far as that goes. And then I guess in the game, when it comes out, uh, like, physically... It's going to have even more departments. It's unlocked all these Kickstarter uh, stretch goals. The player boards are going to be like triple, triple uh, layered and all these things. So it looks like it's going to be very, very fancy. I'm very excited about it. Uh, so, yeah, it's. And it's really I just backed it for $1. <laughs> uh, so that I can delay my decision, which. Recently, I have been like three out of four, they convert into, into pledges. So it's yeah. way more dangerous, but um, it looks nice. It's, it's, I, I really like it. And that would be a game that I would play with you on Board Game Arena if you would be interested. I might, I might try it. And I could teach it. Ha <laughs> That's good. That's very, very good um, because it looks like beast. Who? So you said the oh designer is the one from Troy and Black Angel, but there are no dice here, right? No, no dice. That's good. Let me see. There. Did he design anything that I liked? Uh, Carson City was okay. Uh, Gingopolis, I, I like. So, yeah, so so okay. So he he shows that he has twenty designs, but they are all expansions. So I was looking for more more information, but. Uh, well, he certainly knows how to hit the runner. <laughs> True Black Angel, Carson City, all quite, quite popular. Very successful uh, games, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so one one last one that I played was um, Back to the Future, Back in Time, which is okay. a cooperative game. I won't spend a lot of time on it. It's one of uh, by Prospero Hall, who, mm. who are very good. Uh, the and published by Funko Games. They're very good at taking the theme and making it into a game. Is very simple, not necessarily super light. You have a few decisions, but the nature of those decisions is a very an action economy. Basically, you have ties that you can use to either move or roll dice, and you you can re-roll the dice as many times as you want until you get the bad bad icon, basically. And there are two bad icons to each die. You're trying to uh, make the parents of McFly fall in love. You're trying to keep at bay Biff, the, the big uh, evil bully of the movie. And you're trying to, to repair the DeLorean and run away. Um, takes less than an hour. It's it's charming. Um, we played it. it. We lost twice and won once. Um, I see going forward it might become a little too easy, but there are a couple of options to increase difficulty. It's uh, If someone doesn't care for Back to the Future, I would never, ever bring it out because it's, <laughs> because it's very simple. And at that point, you can get to other uh, cooperative games that are simpler. But in the future, if like we're waiting for friends and Anand and I have 45 minutes rather than breaking out a, a car game, we might play a round of this. And, and it's very thematic. It's fun. Um, but doesn't get to, for example, I really, really like Horrified. 
and even if it weren't a cooperative, but it's by the same people, Jaws, I think it's a very solid game. This, I don't think it's uh, quite there, but I'm happy I got it and it will be staying with us. Cool. I still, I forgot again that Prospero Hall is not a person. I don't think they mind. <laughs> it's fine at this point. We should refer to them as, I would like to meet, to meet Mr. Prospero and Mr. Hall. <laughs> Uh, I wonder. I wonder who, what the other kids called him in school with a name like Prosper and things like that. <laughs> Isn't Prosper a Shakespearean name? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it looks cute. I would play it I, again. Um, it has dice, so at least that's that's a saving grace for you. Um, <laughs> Is that a little? Do they come out of the tower? Yes, yes, you can roll them in the tower. That's cute. With that, why don't we move into our in-depth game review. And today, the game that we have chosen is Lost Ruins of Arnak. And that is from Min and Elwin. And that is from Czech Games Edition. I am not going to tackle the artists because I don't want to butcher their names, but there's a lot of them and the art is lovely. Yes. Uh, so it's by these two new designers. Uh, it was really hyped. The game is um, takes place over five turns. In each of these five turns, you draw a hand of five cards, like in most deck builders, and you proceed to use the cards in your hand resources that you can accumulate and meeples to explore the board and take different actions. There are a bunch of uh, bonus actions or instantaneous actions that you can take that are basically usually getting resources from, from the board or sometimes spending resources to activate something. But the main thing uh, is exploring this island. There are places that you can reach and they have a cost that you can pay with the cards. Like in many deck builders, the cards can be used either for the value or for their effect, like in Thunderstone and things like that. And with those, you pay the cost of traveling to go to certain places. Uh, traveling is the only thing that doesn't have a physical token that you can take while money and explorations, other things that you take to activate the actions around the board, you get them from the cards, but you can accumulate them. And the starting locations are there to be seen from the beginning, and you simply go there and gather tokens of some kind. If you instead want to go further, you have to pay exploration costs the first time you go, and you reveal the location, which means you get a little idol, which is a bonus and its points. Then you flip the location and you activate the location as if you had gone there. But So you get a lot for your travel. But beside having paying the, the exploration cost, you also get hit by a guardian, which is a static enemy. It doesn't activate, doesn't attack. Simply, if you are in a place with a guardian at the end of the turn, you get that card in your deck. Almost that card called fear and there are two levels of this exploration all of this is uh to do points and you do points mainly by three ways killing the guardians which simply means spending a certain amount of resources while you're there moving up on the research track which is this interesting track you have two tokens that follow each other uh, meaning one of them must always be equal or higher to the other and 
they do two things. So they have basically a path on this track, although there are only a few choices. That simply changes what cost you are paying to move up, and you can do it at any time. It's not an action. You just pay and move up. Um, and they give you a reward for reaching a certain level, plus there are the some rewards to be picked up, tiles that the first player to get there can get and the others do not. And they unlock different things. Uh, they will give you tokens. Uh, they will give you assistants that are once a turn abilities. And if you get to the top, they they have a first come, first served in terms of points and you can get extra points. And that's a big, huge chunk of the points in the game. And mm-hmm. finally, you can buy cards. Um, you buy cards not just to, to get points. You buy cards to build your deck uh, there are artifacts that when you buy them, you activate them immediately. Um, and instead, uh, other cards that simply go underneath your, your deck. Um, that's a very good new thing about deck building in this game, but we will get to that. Just to bring it together, cards have some points. Artifacts tend to have more points than other cards. The display of available actions changes. At the beginning, you have a lot of items which are useful, but they are not worth points. And then artifacts that are more expensive, they're worth more points, um, and they get more and more. Uh, there is a, a row of six that changes from five items and one artifact at the beginning of the game to five artifacts and one item at the end of the game. You play through five rounds. Is one of those games where in the first rounds you do only a couple of actions. At the end of the game, you are doing a bunch. And at the end, whoever has the most points wins. The last thing that I forgot to mention is... When you get these idols by exploring, these idols have three functions. First, they give you something when you get them. Second, they are worth points. Third, you can spend them, basically, or better use them to fill a track that gives you stuff but costs you points, uh, like the the track in uh, Seasons. And that's all there is. Uh, So, first of all, how do we... What do you feel? Does it work for the feeling and the theme of the game? Meaning, it's an exploration game, and it's clearly an Indiana Jones game. Uh, But it's a very managing your resources, managing your hand, very Euro-y in in all of that. How do you feel that does it does it work for the general feeling of of this thing? I think so. I think the way that that the exploration um, works, where you're uncovering different things and then having to you know fight off the thing that's guarding this site is very much in line with the theme of the game i like that the things that clog up your deck are these fear cards that you get from not defeating the guardians you because you run away but you are now afraid um, you're more afraid to explore the island. I like that that kind of integrates into the clogging up of your deck because if you're not successful, then you become more afraid and and things like that. I, I really enjoy um, collecting the different little idols that you can then use for immediate resources if you're very stuck. I, I think it, it it all works for me, and I think that it is... Very well thought out. I absolutely agree. Um, and I agree with everything you said. The one thing that is not super 
I don't feel it as much, but it's crucial is that research track, which is very good on a mechanism level, doesn't feel very explory to me. Um, so the main hook of this game, as I, I like to refer it to, is, in my opinion, this two things. First, this that you were referring to, the fact that you explore and there are these worker placement location, but you find them out while the game goes. And the other one is the deck building. And you mentioned this last last episode, how different and innovative uh, the deck building in this game is with just a couple of changes. Mm -hmm. uh, one is the artifacts. It's cards that when you buy them, you use them immediately, and then they go... Technically, you don't have a discard pile. You shuffle everything that is in your play area, but basically they get discarded and they get cycled. But again, everything you use goes underneath your deck, but before that, items that you buy go underneath your deck. So those you don't use immediately, but you know that they're coming. And since the deck is very tiny, because you start with six cards, you know that they will come. And I think that makes it for an excellent uh, use of the deck building uh, mechanic. Uh, do you do you like it or do you prefer the regular old old fashioned? Uh... Oh no, I prefer this one hundred percent because you can plan. Actually, you can say, okay, well, I bought this card. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. It's going to come out, so I know that I can do this, this, this on my next turn, and it makes for this really interesting blend of deck building euro just really click a lot more for me. Yes, um, I think there are a few that are tout, uh, touting themselves as a worker placement with um, deck building. This one, Endless Winters, and uh, which is yet to come, and Dune, Dune Imperium, which is actually out, although I haven't tried it. And I was excited already at the perspective because obviously I like deck builders, but uh, the idea of using deck building in a game um, in, that is not just that makes it very good. And I like, like we were saying last week, this idea of, oh, sure, I know that even in regular deck builders, at some point, you will get the new cards. But it can be sometimes very frustrating, especially when the deck starts swelling and you go like, okay, I bought this card and then I saw it once. While here, even the cards that you buy in your very last round, you can use them because they go to the bottom of your deck, but your deck is so thin that you can possibly draw to it if, mm -hmm. if you manage. Um, okay. Uh, well, theme and components. Uh, I think on this, I, I adore uh, both. Uh, the art is maybe... The art of the board is spectacular. The yes. art of the card is charming but i actually like that they went with the simpler simpler art on the cards it's not as uh, visionary as the board it has this very long landscape this perspective uh, also on the locations the cards are simpler you have a sea turtle you have a war mask um but but very efficient and to me I might. I don't think I would ever take it out to show the art to someone like I would do with the Rising Sun, or you might do with the On Mars and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but while I was playing, I really, really liked it. The size of the images on the cards is such that it doesn't distract you from from the effects, 
but you see it in your hand is not just a tiny background image. Um, and the theme, so full disclosure, I have a sweet spot for, a soft spot for, for exploration themes. I like Escape, I like uh, uh, The Order of the Gilded Compass. So I am predisposed to like this adventure exploration kind of theme, but I think it works very well as long as you remember that it's a euro, right? You you find the guardians and you kill them with resources. They don't attack you. You don't uh, draw a card to see what happens. And there is a, a certain randomness in what comes up when you explore, but they are all more or less the same. You get some kind of resource, right? And obviously it can change significantly what you get, but I think the theme really spoke to me and most of it comes through the cards. The cards... I don't know if they make sense. The artifacts make a little more sense in what they do, but I really, really liked it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I like that the theme is tied into even like the different levels of exploring. Mm -hmm. How the the further away locations have better items, and and um, so you have the two separate decks that you're drawing from, and the components as far as like the the those tiles and the guardian tiles that go over them are they're uniquely shaped um yeah. and i really like how well they look on the board when you put them down um cuz you are covering this beautiful beautiful board um with different tiles and such so i like that they are <clears throat> beautiful in their own right yeah. also um as far as components goes uh, the custom plastic pieces are phenomenal. Yes, yes, absolutely. The, the little stone tablets, the little arrowheads, the little gems. Those are some of the nicest pieces I've ever gotten from an undeluxified, just base game. Yeah, every person I played with, um, meaning Anna, Rachel, and Ryan, they all <laughs> ask... Uh, is it is this a Kickstarter? Is this the regular version? And yes, it is. And as you were saying, it, it feels deluxe, but it was distributed with a with a price that is is not, which is something I would like to see more of. Um, but yeah. So for pace and arc, so the arc of the game I think is um, where it really shines for me you start with a little bit and then it grows a lot and at the end you feel even if you haven't acquired particular power because you got some new cards but not that many but you now know where the big actions are and you are up on the track and the track full um, self propels itself because you spend to get stuff but that gives you more stuff and you have these uh, assistant that you can use once per round, but that you don't have at the beginning. So this arc is very satisfying to me. You go from doing almost nothing to doing a lot, but still without feeling that every game you will do the same because you can do everything, right? It's not that every game you get to the end of the track and you buy all of the points. Sometimes you will do more, sometimes you will do less. So there is still challenge at the end. Yeah. Um, and obviously I want to know how you feel about that, the pace can be sometimes frustrating because it's one of those games where turns are not the same length for everyone. And that means that in a turn in which you have 
get you are getting ready for the next round or vice versa in a game where it's not going well for you it can become a little frustrating to see other people keep going and keep going mm-hmm. and that's that's a part of the game that i actually like i like that non fixed turn but i can see how sometimes especially when playing with four players if you mess up or if you know that you need to accumulate resources and therefore you need to bide your time right now, uh, I can see the pace not being super enjoyable for everyone. Yeah. Um, as far as pace goes, I've only played it at two. So it's simply back and forth. And and uh, we seem to take very similar amounts of, of turns per round. So it seemed fairly balanced to me at two um not saying that at more it's unbalanced but uh it definitely the pace felt fine at two so um and then the arc of it i think is like amazing it's kind of it kind of feels like underwater cities to me where you're like looking at this like empty board and you're like the heck am i supposed to do i have nothing I I can go here and get like a resource and then what? <laughs> yep. And then and then how are you supposed to, you know, develop a strategy from this and how are you supposed to, you know, go forward in in the game with the with just knowing very very little, but then you get a little more and you get a little more and you, you know, get some cards and you move up on the tracks which give you resources and assistance and so it it v- very warmly like opens you up to new possibilities as you continue to expand what it is that you're doing and i i think that the feeling that that ga- that this game gives me as far as the arc is is up there like with one of my favorite games which is underwater cities so i think it's it's very fun and surprising to see where you start from and where you finish i can actually really see that comparison as you said the games are very different but the feeling i can see where you come from with that absolutely um in terms of strategy and replayability so replayability first for me at least um i only played it twice so far Mm -hmm. i think it will be very replayable because of the order things come out and uh, um because of the double board at the same time the deck building is somewhat limited i wouldn't mind uh seeing uh, a small expansion even just i don't know 20 more items and 20 more artifacts um in terms of strategy that's where i think i really like it you can do different things in two different games i did very different things in one i pumped one of my research token to the top very quickly in the other one i brought both up Um, there are certain things that you need to do i think you need the first couple of level of the research track to get the the assistance yes Um, but for example in one game, I got almost no points from Guardians. In another, I got 25 points from Guardians. And uh, they are both viable. Um, you can decide what to do. And even when you're doing the same, like moving a lot on the on the track, how you get there, how you get your resources is very different. So I think there are multiple strategies 
understanding though that this is not a point salad game, right? You have certain specific goals and you will be after those. Yeah. Um, I agree with you as far as replayability goes. I think that this can very easily get expansions of just a few cards. I think that that would be very good to help increase replayability. And then what was the other thing? On the strategy, do you feel like there are different strategies or are you forced into doing more or less the same every time? I'm not sure about that um, because as far as, like you said, there are very specific things that you go for. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have to be a little bit reactive in this game because, like you said, if someone is going and pushing one of their markers all the way up to the top of the board, if you don't get your marker up to the board or you're the only person who doesn't, you have to somehow make up like a 20-something point deficit Mm -hmm. just there. So I feel like the reactiveness of it, I mean, yes, you can do different things and, and, and things like that, but if one person picks a strategy, you really can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. So I guess I don't know. Like I, I think that there are a lot of different strategies. Like I agree that the the guardians is a viable strategy. I think that um, the research track is, like you said, not ignorable. Um, so it it really depends. I feel like on on like what kind of strategy the other people are going for with you yeah i i can actually see that and i was thinking that i was looking even at the cards and they do different things but they tend to to work in the same in the same manner so you're probably uh, absolutely right about that um so designer and artist normally we try to talk more about them but the designers that's the their first game and the artist uh i'll just read Jiricus. Uh, and all of the others. They are basically the in-house artists for Czech games. They work on uh, Sanctum before, and they they did a good job, but it's not like... I, I didn't, again, first, they're not, I think, at the level of uh, Vincent Dutre or Yeno Tool, and also there is not a big portfolio of games that you can go out and look for if, if you like them. Um, we did some comparisons already uh, Underwater Cities, Obviously, this would need to be compared to uh, Dune Imperium and Endless Winter that all at the same time, interestingly, uh, they they decided to go with this mixture of worker placement and deck builder. As it is, not having tried those two, I think that this stands very unique uh, in my my collection and in my game experience. Um, Do you have... You mentioned that uh, Underwater Cities reminds you of this for, for, or this reminds you of Underwater Cities for the pace and mm-hmm. this sense of growth. But in terms of actual mechanisms, have you ever played anything that feel, felt similar? No, definitely. Definitely. I agree with what you were saying that it feels like it's its own thing in, in my collection. There's not really anything that really has this kind of feel. I like how the, the mechanisms are integrated into the theme and vice versa. And it feels just like a very, a very fresh take on very, very old ideas like deck building and worker placement. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. 
Um, to to wrap it up for me is uh, again, it's my favorite game that came out in in 2020. Um, because as we said last last week, only Clank Legacy gave me more joy, but that didn't come up come out in 2020. Um, it's and part of it is that it's so unique. It's an exploration game in a box. You are going through the island one card at a time, and I love it. Would you recommend it to someone if they didn't care for the exploration theme? Yes. Yes, because while it works very well, it's a very solid mechanism-based game. There is no narrative text, and there are no surprise events and things like that. So it's a very solid... Actually, if someone really needs their exploration fix in a more narrative way, they might be more disappointing than the people going in it uh, for the for the mechanism. If someone has played, I don't know, Fortune and Glory, and they want to continue exploring stuff, or, or even the adventurers, and then they get into this, if that's their perspective, the super cinematic um, movement, this is not particularly cinematic but if you understand what it is which is i think a a strict up euro with a strong theme and you are fascinated with the theme or you you will love it but it's first and foremost a very very solid game i really enjoyed it i think that i would like to play it more to get a better feel for for it but yeah it was it was definitely it left me with a very good feeling. I really enjoyed it. I would and, also recommend it. And that was Lost Ruins of Arnak, which is by who? <laughs> Min and Elwin from Czech Games Edition. Okay. So um last thing before we move to today's topic, and uh, we are really leaning into this longer, even if less frequent episodes. Do you have anything that you're looking forward, you're excited for, uh, or that you're waiting either to to come out or to be delivered or anything like that? Um, So I just got the Dwellings of Eldervale. Does it look as good in person as it does online? I haven't opened it yet. Um, I'm having a problem right now (laughs) with games arriving. and not having shelves for them. Especially since <laughs> all of my games that have been coming are enormous. And we're we're not talking like, oh, like it's an Aeon's End size box or a Blood Rage size box. We're no, we're talking about Anachrony Infinity box, which is like takes up almost a full Calyx cube by itself. <laughs> okay, so that's basically taking up a whole calyx cube so i mean so you came uh, yeah anachrony infinity box i um i was missing a piece and i met i messaged them and they sent it right out to me so that was fun uh to go through and like see all the different things and all the new fancy pieces and and set everything up and that is that is a lot of content in a box like you you look at it and you're like oh that's a lot of stuff in there probably and the sheer quantity of different modules and just amazing amazing things in there so i am excited to play that more 
Um, Can't wait. So yeah, Dwellings of Elderville um, on Mars came with Kanban. So so you get my problem now, right? So oh yeah, Anachrony Infinity Box takes up a, a full calyx. The um, Dwellings of Elder Eldervale takes up probably about half a calyx or cube. Um, and then Kanban and On Mars are not particularly like wide, but they are very very long in that they don't really fit in the calyx cube. So I'm so running. now it's not you finding the space for games; is the games leaving some space for you? Yes, somewhere. yes. <laughs> Scott's uh, compu- uh, like office space is getting smaller and smaller. I actually went to IKEA the other day and purchased another one by four. Mm-hmm. We are still IKEA still has a bad name in our house because it has been since early December or late November that we are waiting for the freaking five by five Kallax, the big ones, to come back in stock. And they have nothing. And since we're not driving to Florida to get them, um, <laughs> our games are in a disarray. So there is the Euro shelf, which is safe, and the two-player and, and cooperative shelf that is done. But we are basically less than half of the collection is now shelved. And I even looked into alternatives, but there are no, no things. So what I'm looking forward to is Freaking Ikea getting the, the <laughs> wooden shelves that they are famous for. And um, and then game-wise, I actually uh, recently, in the last few days, I've been obsessing about Stroganoff, which has nothing to do with the beef. Um, is by is the new game by Andreas Stedding, who is the guy yep. behind uh, uh, Gugong. Gugong. Yeah, and Gugong, and it's still by Game Brewer. I loved uh, Gugong. Is probably my favorite game from 2019 uh, up there with with clank uh, although they are very different and uh, the the art looks stunning the mechanics look interesting you move on a track and that determines what actions you can take and you can keep going back and forth with certain actions and you are expanding farther and farther into the into the tundra um, the theme is different, at least the, the this idea of you spend horses to move forward in this uh, desolate land, but then you're trying to settle it. Looks very nice. It's going to be on Kickstarter next month. Um, I must say that with Gugong, I'm perfectly fine with the regular edition. So I might end up waiting for the retail edition on this one, but there is no doubt in my mind that I will get it. Uh, one way or another and i'm excited for it yeah it looks very nice so when we finally get all of these uh games we it will only compound the problem that already exists which is how do you choose what to play when you get together ah good transition <laughs> very, very smooth uh zero smooth um okay so uh, i wanted to do something a little different from just the another uh our favorite game of some kind although i like that a lot but since we just did the big 2021 i wanted to try and explore another uh thing so first this is strictly based on on the fact that we play game with people right if if someone played games alone, they could just 
pick their solo game of choice for the day. And I guess they would they would have some problem, but you, you can just go through a rotation or whatever. And so it is actually a good problem to have, right? You get together with people and you need to pick um, what game to play. And that's true of whether you are playing with your partner or your friends came over uh, for the, 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 the night or whether you get to a, a weekly gaming meeting or you are at the convention. So there are different spots, different necessities, but I thought we could try and explore how we choose games to play in some of those environments. Easy. Step one, not a co-op. Fair enough. You, you have your step <laughs> one. I'm kidding. It ties into something that I uh, am going to say later, but it it, it just goes... Uh, it was just a little comic comic thing there no no it actually works perfectly because i think that understanding what you don't want to play is almost as important as understanding what you do want to play that's true um i and we will go through the different i think there are different strategies and different problems depending on on the setting but i strongly still believe to this day that no matter the setting no matter the number of players way too many games exist for someone to play a game that they don't want to play um, to the point that I am sometimes negative about some games. I say, I, I won't play that. And I used to feel guilty about it. I don't. And <laughs> I don't want other people to feel that, like, if they don't like a game, even if it's a game they like a lot, we're just not going to play that game. So, for example, I give you grief about Nemesis and not liking Nemesis. But I wouldn't want you to now say, okay, I'll suffer through Nemesis so you, you can play it, right? It's There are hundreds and hundreds of excellent games. And so I think that the first step is to recognize that, um, at least for me, I am in the position in which I get to play a lot of games. And so I don't want people to suffer through games that I don't like. I wonder if it would be different if, I didn't have close friends or my partner, uh, Anna, playing games, my wife, with me. And I was in the condition of, oh, I only ever go to a, a weekly or bi-weekly meeting. And that's the only occasion where I can play this game. And maybe that would change my mind. But as it is right now, I feel extremely strongly that I don't want someone who plays a game with me to play it, despite the fact that they don't want to play it. Yeah. Funny enough, I would actually play Nemesis again, but only if we played it with the full co-op version, which um, goes against like everything that I, I say all the time. What have you done with Nathan? <laughs> Who are you? Being isolated has changed me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I will definitely play it. I think it will solve the problems that I remember you having it with it and i think i like it we haven't actually played the co-op version which speaks to how much we like the basic one but i'm glad to i will be glad to 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 play with you i'm sure anna won't object to playing nemesis co-op she she actually agreed with me that uh i did i didn't want to play the co-op particularly i prefer write the the normal one and so she said okay i can I, can, I like Nemesis so much that I don't need to try the cop, but that would be a perfect occasion to do so. I understand that the objectives are, are harder, but you can help each other in killing the monsters. So uh, let's start with 
if you are with just one friend or your partner, I I personally don't find a big problem there because I think that one of the problems in choosing games is specifically that you don't want to make anyone unhappy. And when you are only choosing with one person, you go, do you want to play this? Either yes or no, right? It's a straightforward <laughs> move to the next one. And usually we don't have a big problem finding out what to play. Um, yesterday night, I suggested, I don't remember what, then I mentioned Eldritch Horror, and then I was, sure, let's play Eldritch Horror, and we finish way too late into the night. But <laughs> do you also find that when it's, it, I don't know, just you and me, or you and Scott, or you and Brian, uh, that is easier to to find what to play? Yeah, because I think it's like, you're just like two. So it's just, I agree. Like you just say, you know, what is it that you want to play? And like, if I'm playing with Brian, he'll come with like a list and he'll say, so I'm really interested in playing these games. Does anything on this list like resonate? In, with you? Uh, yeah. Like inspire you to want to play it. So um, that's how him and I usually resolve stuff is like, he'll, he'll come with a list or I'll come with a list of games of his that I would be interested in. Um, so yeah, I think that when it's two, I think it's a lot easier, which goes into um, just like player count. Like, I think that if, if you are, like you said, a small group of two um, or as you, as you add more people, that's when the issues come in. Yes, although that that leads me to two things. First, yes, the the list, and I will get back to that in a moment. But also, player count, I think it's a very good um, discerning factor for me. Uh, I used to try, uh, when we had like 15 games or something like that, there were games that I really wanted to try, to play. I really liked them. And um, I wanted to play them, make them work, no matter the number of people. Now we have so many games uh, and so many that I really love. That's the great thing, right? It's not that we have a lot of games that are just okay. So many games that I love that I think the one thing where I'm not super flexible, well, there are many things I'm not super flexible about, but among those, uh, it's also player count. If a game, for example, I love Seasons. We played season yesterday, actually, uh, or two days ago, I don't remember. Um, the two of us, and I loved it. I also got punched into the ground, but that's beyond the point. But I won't play Seasons with four. The fourth player adds a long time without adding any interaction. Or I will play Ninjata only at three. And obviously, most games I have a little more flexibilities, but there are games that I won't play with two, like Rialto with two. I actually like it when I played it, but Rialto shines at high numbers, so I would bring out Rialto if we are three or more. And things like that. And I think that's a good discriminant. But uh, usually what I do when I have friends over is all, all of the games that I have, obviously, I would like to play. And normally friends that bring games know more or less what I like, so they don't bring a game that I hate. So I will start, as you have seen me doing multiple times, physically piling up the games on, on the table. <laughs> And then something very natural happens. First of all, people veto them, which is <laughs> great because, again, it goes back to the first thing should be people shouldn't play things that they don't want to play. And so often I 
I, I do this on purpose. I keep piling things so that people feel the pressure of choosing something and removing the ones that are mentioned. And sometimes that leads us down to, to a few. And I think that that's a very good way because someone is taking the and it's not always me, although often I like doing that, but someone is taking the responsibility of first shrinking from 350 games <laughs> or 400 to 5, 8, 10. Right. But then someone else is in charge of going from 10 to 1. And so usually I take out 10, uh, 4 or 5 get vetoed, and then someone else needs to choose among those four. And obviously I don't manipulate that. It's not that if I am with you, oh, I'll bring out 10 games of which 9 are co-ops. Oh, oh, you chose this other one? Oh, what, what a coincidence. That was the one you really wanted to play, right? I try to to already narrow it down to things that I know that people like. But the problem is that this breaks down when we get to, to a convention setting or a weekly meeting. Because I bring, like most people do, way too many games, right? I bring 20 games to an afternoon in which I know I will play two, and everyone does that. But, yeah. uh, but at the same time, the problem is that that pre-choice I cannot do because I don't know the people that I'm going to play. And also people, I don't know how they will read me. Like at home, I know that my friends know that even if I take out 10 games and none of them they like, sure, just bring out other games. While at the meeting, people maybe that I don't know, I don't want to impose games on them. But I have noticed that at first, I was simply bringing the games and putting out there but there are some people that are very vocal about those games. And so, for example, I noticed that I often got roped into games that I didn't like. Um, and so now what I tend to do when I go to a, to a convention or to... Well, conventions are different because there are also a bunch of new games. But let's say a weekly meeting. What I do is I tell someone, okay, I can play anything that I brought, but also, and I make an effort to point out a bunch of other games that are not the same that I brought, uh, that are from other people's piles or they are in the, in the playing things, so that I obviously will play everything, anything that I brought. That's why I brought them. But I'm also um, open to playing a lot of these. I notice that with some environments, you, I need to get over my trying to be open and propose things. And pick a game and insist with it, which is something that I'm very uncomfortable with, but sometimes it's the only way to move towards actually playing a game. Yeah. Because I I have been to places where, okay, we can play this, 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 and this. Okay. And then the only players, especially at the, there is a local meeting where there, it's very nice because they often, new people often show up. But so what happens is that there are people who play often the same games. It's usually Concordia. And they just <laughs> pick Concordia and jump into Concordia with the people who already know Concordia. And so my openness becomes, okay, I will play the introductory game to try and be nice to the new people. And, and it always happens, right? And that means I don't get to play with my friends. 
Um, I don't get to play games that are particularly exciting to me. So in that specific subsetting, I become a little more decisive and I go, I will play either Lorenzo or Rialto or Blood Rage. Who wants to play any of these? Uh, but that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm the opposite. I think sometimes I'm too vocal about what I want to play. Well, that's why we work well together. <laughs> I'm like, I really want to play this or this. Pick one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's like, let's play Newton. But the good thing is that you choose good games. So I'm happy with that. Um, so yeah, that that is also like my next point also was uh, the type of game night that you're going to really can influence how to pick a game. Because like you said, there's... At conventions especially, I have an issue because if you go to like the big, big, big conventions, like um, I know uh, like Dice Tower Con and like um, I think BGG Con um, mm -hmm. are the ones that have like huge, 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 massive libraries. Yep. So like you just walk through like this enormous like like maze of of games and you're like okay i guess i mean this one so um with that i think it's particularly difficult it's actually even harder than that because at least at dice tower con which is the only one of those that they have been to they have this massive library so you read through the the catalog right you so you take the cat the catalog the printed list you brought bring it to the people that you have rope together the friends that you are going to play with you start discussing what you can play you go through a list most games you don't know so people are interested in something or in something else you finally figure out one that you want to play you go to the library and they go oh no it has been checked checked out try tomorrow <laughs> and that's disconcerting but you want to try and play new games so it it's something that you need to do yeah what about the bigger conventions do you get to play any games there um, so I know that uh, the way we do bigger conventions is very, very different. I know you go around and you get all of your little blurbs from everybody, like, sell me on this game, like, tell me about it, blah, blah, blah. I'll do that every once in a while. I like sitting down for, for demos, mm -hmm. like longer demos. Um, or I go in having you know, research things that I think I will like and just buying them. And then, <laughs> and then sometimes I'm wrong. How is that and, different? How is that different from not the convention? I know, but, um, but th in this way, I just get all the games like within a three day period versus ordering them and waiting for them to come. And <laughs> so it's immediate gratification. So, I I definitely like buy a ton of games. So I just crack open something that I've just purchased. Uh and that's how we decide <laughs> basically like if I'm going to Gen Con with Dan, uh my friend from home, he is just like I'll play whatever. Literally, like any game. He has never once said no, I'm not going to play that. So he We'll just play whatever I buy, basically. And then sometimes after we play it, we'll go back the next day and he'll be like, okay, I really like that. I'm going to get it. 
So, yeah. Yeah, I think that um, choosing what to play, even at convention, it used to be easier. I remember when we went to our first TotalCon, which is a local convention with a smallish library. Well, with a smaller library than the bigger ones, but still a significant library. It was very easy. We would just take the list. Oh, we don't know this. Pick it out uh, and and play it. Now we have played a lot of them, and also, which is good, we know a little bit more about games, so we know also what not to try that is not going to be for us, but it makes for a longer process of, of choosing what to play. Yeah. Um, but also, I, I really like helping people playing the games that they like. Like, if I don't... That, that's, I think, I, as I said, I'm very picky. On, I have a lot of limits on, on what to play. But one thing that I think helps is that I don't need to play a particular game. So as long as it's a game that I like, and there are many that I like, there are many that I dislike, but also many that I like, when someone at the convention wants to play a game, take, for example, okay, uh, Aquasphere is one of my favorite games. and But even if I have Aquasphere there and someone else suggests a game that maybe I like but I, I don't love, Istanbul. I'm perfectly fine playing Istanbul. I don't have the game that I need to play, right? Um, and so that sometimes helps, especially when people are, oh, no one is playing my game. Sure, we, we can play that. Um, and that that helps getting to know new people. And um, and I I like that in a convention setting. You did and that with me the first, the first time that we met. Yeah, exactly. Secrets was probably not a game that was to the top of my list, right? I would never go to a convention saying, oh, the, my goal for this convention is I want to play Secrets. Yeah. Obviously, there are games that I don't like. And if you were looking for, I don't know, someone for a long Euro that I don't like, I, I am blanking, but there are plenty. Um, I would rate. not have said, sorry? Arc right. Uh, exactly. I wouldn't have said, sure, let's play that. But even short games that I don't like, right? It's not about the length. Um but that's the point. If that makes it easier for me, because sure I will try that game, or sure I will play this light game that other people don't want to play. I never go to a convention with the intention of I will play this game, even when I would like to. Right, like Rising Sun is a game that I tend to play more at convention than not. But last time I brought it, and there was one other person that wanted to play it. But it didn't happen because at that point I, I was playing something else, so I wasn't that sad on it. Obviously, if it happens the same with Battlestar Galactica, um, obviously I won't say no to a game of Battlestar Galactica, but it's not that I get to a convention and I have as my ultimate goal to play that, and so everything needs to, to fit. For, for example, often at convention I say, sure, I will play that specific game, if things work, and then they come and they go, oh, tonight we're playing this, and I, I'm sorry, I'm already playing this other game. Go ahead, play without me. If if it happens again, I will be very happy. I think that <laughs> remembering that uh, we like a lot of games. So we like games. So it's very hard for me to understand the point of I need to play this game specifically. I do understand and share the but I don't like this game. Why I would, would I play a game that I don't like? Mm -hmm. But vice versa, 
Um, take, for example, of the different T games, I like the Kanu and Soul King way more than I like Teotihuacan. But mm-hmm. I like Teotihuacan. It's fine. So if someone wants to play that and not the other two, sure, I'll play it. And Taramara or whatever. Mm-hmm. Trismegistus. That, for example, I won't play because I don't like it. <laughs> um, and that's the same with with uh, co-ops for you or a lot of special games for me. Um, there is no need. For example, we have never told you, oh, you should really play Eldritch Horror, uh, which I don't know if you have played. I actually it, like Eldritch Horror. Okay, Nathan. So what are the, the, the co-ops that you don't like? The bad ones. No one likes bad cops. How do you like Eldritch Horror and not like cops? It's a mystery. <laughs> is this 2021, Nathan? Is, is that a different person? Like, yeah, I like cops. The one thing that I don't like is games that are overproduced and have too many shiny things. <laughs> uh, the body, but, the invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah, yes. So, exactly. So, let's say with Nathan from 2020, when I thought you, you wouldn't like something like Eldritch Horror, I wouldn't insist on playing a game, even if I think it's good. Take Rising Sun. I I make fun of Anna a lot because she doesn't like Rising Sun, and I am baffled that she doesn't. But I don't go, oh, tonight we should play Rising Sun. Oh, tonight we should play Rising Sun every time we have friends over, right? Yeah. Because... She doesn't like it. Um, it baffles me, but not as much as the fact that she doesn't like Medici. Um, she's gesturing. Those are the one, the two only games that I don't like. No, that's the, the <laughs> point. Um, but I mean, she's married to me, so she, we know she doesn't have good taste in general. Um, and uh, but yeah, I think, and and that that's that's it in the end. I think find a game that you like. Be open to playing maybe not your favorite game, but just a game that you like, and things become much easier. I read of groups where you have a rotating set of choosing, and you you do play what they choose. So yeah, today you need to you get to choose, and everyone is forced to play that game that you choose. That sounds miserable. But it's it's actually very common. I have heard it from many people. I've read it on many threads and heard it in many podcasts. Obviously, I don't think if someone goes, no, I won't play that uh, even under torture, they tie them to the chair. But the assumption is, well, we suffered through your game last week and now you suffer through mine. Right, but why suffer through a game at all? I think partially is, as I was saying before, people who don't have many other outlets combine with a kind of a cult of the new uh, or things like that. I really want to play this three-hour economic game and the next player really wants to play this shoot them up uh, completely random thing they are in the same game group for reasons that completely oh, no. me. Um, and so today you play through barrage and tomorrow you play through whatever shoot them up thing i brought um and i don't think that works for me i rather go an entire year without playing a specific game, although it would make me sad if I like the game, rather than playing that, but then through the year repeatedly playing games that I don't like. Right. Yeah, no, that wouldn't work for me. I I, I would rather break up into smaller groups. Even if we were like 
four. If two people like, like if you and I really wanted to play something really heavy and mean, and Scott and Anna wanted to play a co-op, like I'd rather break up into two groups. Absolutely, that's absolutely true. And that was before coming to America uh, or the first years when we went back to Italy for a longer time. We had this somewhat large group of of players, uh, like not 20, but six, seven, eight. And one of the big things was splitting, right? There were people who would rather play I don't know, always the resistance or something like that, not to split. And in particular, we have one friend, who read, Andrea, who really doesn't like those light games. And so he, he would rather split and play something that he liked. And at first I was also, well, but we are all together. But then I realized, well, but then this person has to play games that they don't like. Um, just let's split and one room will play... Uh, Pillars of the Earth, that at the time was the complicated Euro game, although it's not that that complex, but it was for us. And the other room will play a lighter car game. And then there were the occasions where we were just six, and so we did Rex or we did Battlestar Galactica. But the idea of, again, it's more important to have people happy that to adhere to a certain predetermined rule of we have to play all of the new games or we have to not break the group. I completely agree. People being happy is more important than some theoretical rule. So another thing that I think really helps dictate, for me at least, what to play is like my mood. Mm -hmm. Like if I just came off of working, you know, 12 hours, I may not be in the mindset or really feel like playing, like you said, an economic game, Mm -hmm. something very dry, something very like crunchy and you have to think and think and think and agonize over your turns and stuff like that. That may not be, you know, what I'm going for. Whereas like, there are times when I'm like, I really want, and even you sometimes are like, I really want a minis game. I'm feeling like playing with minis. Like, so it, it, I think mood is definitely a factor in how to choose what to play. Yes. And I think the, the key is remembering to make the mood accessible to others. As you said, one thing is saying, I want to play games with minis. One thing would be, I now want to play Rising Sun. And that's it. And there is, or again with Nemesis, I just want to play Nemesis, right? Why Aminis games, even if we are not maybe the ones with the largest collection of miniature games, that, that can mean Blood Rage, that can mean Kemet, that can mean Nemesis, uh, that can mean Rising Sun. There are a few options, right? Uh, and and uh, or I want to play a Viking game, so I want to play a Euro. Is trying to even when you are focusing on something, trying to keep it open so that people are not in the option of either telling you, no, I don't want to play that, or just going on with it, right? Again, if someone says, I want to play a card game, or I want to play something light, or I want to play uh, a cop or something like that, you at least give options to the other players, um, and they can meet you midway. Yeah. 
Okay. Another I, think... I had actually oh, yeah. was um, skill level. So, oh, and I enough. think that that talks to more of like conventions um, or weekly meetups, like you were saying. I like don't always want to play um, a heavy euro with someone who's never played it before. Absolutely. Like if one person is brand new and it, and it also depends on like what kind of, of Euro it is. Like if it's one that really depends on everyone knowing what yep. the options are and what strategies are good and what strategies are bad or your actions directly leave things open for others or don't or um, things like that. I think that also kind of helps me choose what to play just because it's, it's, it can really bring the whole game down. If one person is very at, at a very different level of game of like gamer than you are. And I think that's crucial. That goes back to, you should play games for the people that are playing it and not for the game itself and that's something that, especially at small conventions, sometimes there is someone new and people, I don't know, they really want to play Anachrony or Barrage or uh, maybe Lorenzo with the expansion and all of that. And these people, they have played Catan. And so you should go, okay, I kind of wanted to play that, but since I'm playing with these people, there are so many games that are more accessible. While yeah. sometimes you see people thrown into this thing because the person that they happen to be playing with is really sat on this uh, Lorenzo with the expansion or something like that. And you ruin the experience for both them and for the people who are more experienced. And I think that that's something that we need to, again, bring it back to the games are important and playing the games that we like is important, but it should be a vehicle for a pleasant gaming experience. There is no game that can be pleasant no matter how and who plays it right if if people are not having fun for one reason or the other either because they're completely lost or because the game is being ruined by the the different skill level then the game can be as good as they want but but it's not gonna be fun yeah and then the last thing i had was the last time you played something (laughs) i think that that heavily goes into it for me with my collection currently sitting at 400 plus, we won't tell Scott. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't always want to play a game that I just recently played. Um, and so I feel like that that um, can sometimes help me pick what I want to play. Um so I think that that's an important thing. Um, some people, there are some games that I don't mind that, but there are definitely some games that I'm I'm just like, I can't undertake that again <laughs> so soon. Well, for me, as you know, I have, uh, again, not a rule because sometimes I, I do give in, but I tend not to like to play the same game twice in a row mm-hmm. unless very narrative game because in narrative games the narrative provides a difference right playing chronicles of crime twice in a row you're playing different cases 
but even playing Lost Ruins of Arnak twice in a row, it makes me lose that satisfaction with the arc. Mm-hmm. But I see that, especially when we get new games, we tend to rotate or wanting to rotate through them often uh, in the last few first few weeks. So I generally give myself a rule that if I have an evening of games, like three or four hours, I need to play something that has been in our collection, I know, more than a year, although it's not there with the calendar, right? But not a recent game, and then get back to, to a recent game. So, for example, recently we played Back to the Future, but before that we played Seasons, or Praga, and before that we played something else. Um, so that we... Because it the the lure of the shiny is there, right? Is the game that you have already played. And also because there are games that if I don't play for over a year, starts getting uh, difficult to, to get back because I don't remember the rules. And then I don't play them. And then I remember the rules even less. So yeah, rotating. And, and I think that all that you pointed to, skill level, mood, a number of players, they are all very helpful tools to try and, and reduce down. And I do remember when that wasn't the problem. Uh, when we had four or five more games, it was, well, we are six, we are playing Battlestar, we are four, we are playing Small World. Uh, tomorrow, we are playing P- Pillars of the Earth, who's going to show up? Right now, where the games are so many that are a vehicle to play with my friends, I would never tell you, well, now we also live uh, far away, but even if we live closer, I wouldn't tell you, well, Come tomorrow if you want to play Newton, right? I would tell you, come tomorrow and then we will figure out something to play. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that uh, brings us to the end of of our topic for the day. Unless, did you have anything else to add? No, I'm I'm very happy to have made it through, through this other episode. Um, look, looking forward to episode three. All right. So this is right now I'm going to be sending you an image that you are going to blind react to. Okay, it's a, it's a test. Is it a new a new game? I, I get shocked. Um, if I, I answer poorly, is it like a, a game show? No, so I just sent it to you. On the phone? Yes. Okay, let's see. It is our new logo. Oh, that's so cute! <laughs> so, so, um, You've heard it here first. Our new logo for season two um, will be uploaded with this episode. It is uh, it was commissioned from Scott's friend, who is an artist, and uh, yeah. So I gave her pictures of the two of us, and um, she drew our likenesses on the heads of me- meeples. Um, and uh, if you're listening to this, you'll be seeing it. So. That is where the new logo came from. So uh, I hope you all enjoy it because I think that it's amazing. So I love, I love not only us, but also the table with all of the little pieces. <laughs> it's fantastic. I like that I'm very aggressive about it. <laughs> yes. You're kind of a, laid back. I have a more casual, casual approach to the gambitness. <laughs> Yes. So that's amazing. What's the name of your friend of Scott's friend? Emily. Emily. Thank you, Emily. Yes, thank you. So we will be uploading that. And as always, um, 
we are available on Facebook and uh, Instagram mostly. Uh, so Instagram, I've become a lot more active on it. Um, and also on Facebook, I've been trying to post more things and questions, and I would love to get some um, responses from our listeners. So if you have any uh, questions, concerns, uh, thank you to the people who have concerns, questions, or (laughs) things you'd like us to talk about. Um, We would love to hear from you. So um, thank you again to the people who have reached out. And I look forward to hearing from more of you and hopefully getting to a convention at some point to meet people who have listened to our podcast. So uh, as always, uh, as a wrap up, I am Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Thank you very much. Nathan, thank you, Emily, and thank you to everyone who listened. And I'll see you next time. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.